0: So it is our, has been a tradition here for a handful of the past Thanksgiving Eves to do a Ties Thanksgiving Eve service where you, you know, meditate on scripture and then have a song and you meditate and it's slow and calm and quiet. And I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to do that one anymore. So I chose something else this year. One of the reasons I shouted out music was not just to take that sports, but also because when I think about wanting to be thankful, or the ways I show that I am grateful or have gratitude, um, music tends to be the way I do that best. I know some of you uh, would agree, and some of you maybe you're like, "I make a joyful noise, uh, but I don't necessarily love to sing." That's all welcome in this. Um, but I decided I was going to choose three of. If you're going to plan a service, you get to do what you want, right? So I chose three of my favorite hymns to tell their story, um, and then we're gonna sing it together. So uh, each of these hymns not only is a favorite, but they're thematically around gratitude, faithfulness, and thanksgiving. It's pretty easy to say the big ones, uh, especially if you're a kid, uh, to say, I'm thankful for food and family and friends and all of those things. But some of these hymns are written, hymns of faith, hymns of love, hymns of grace, From people who were going through really difficult things and didn't have the best year and didn't have a table full of food and didn't have um, all the things going for them that many of us in this room have going for us. And so I think it matters for us to hear the story of the hymn writer, why they chose this song, why they wrote it, and then sing it together within the context of this holiday, which is a weird holiday filled with lots of history that is made up and some of it is totally wrong and some of it is violent and we can't pretend it's not there. And yet, for a lot of us, this is a holiday where we just gather with the people we love best uh, and eat good food and be in the presence of our family and friends. So holding all of those things in one holiday is a lot. And so when things get too big to hold all together, we sing. In 1871, the Great Chicago Fire left the northern part of the city of Chicago in ruins, which meant all the buildings that investors, wealthy investors from the inner city, such as lawyer Horatio Spafford, lost all of their wealth when the buildings burned down. They had invested in real estate as one does. Two years later, as they were still trying to deal with rebuilding and zoning issues, truly some things never change, look at that. Horatio made the last minute decision to delay his departure on their family trip to Europe and sent his family ahead of him, planning to catch up with them later. On his family's trip across the Atlantic, their ship collided with another, very rare, and sank in just 12 minutes, killing 226 people, including all four of his daughters, all under the age of 11. That's a brutal one. I'm like, oh, I'm going to cry when I talk about this because I knew it was going to happen because I can't even imagine. His wife, Anna, survived. Uh, And as she arrived in Paris sent Horatio what might be the most heartbreaking telegram of all time containing the words, Saved alone, what shall I do? I don't even know this guy and I'm crying, but here we go. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio got on a ship on the same route to be with his grieving wife, And they passed over the place where his daughters had died. The captain of his ship called him into the cabin to point out where it was. And it was in that spot, in that moment, Horatio penned these lines. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, good gracious, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. To be in the midst of that kind of loss and write this song is beautiful and powerful and honestly very difficult to imagine. I find it hard to sing this song when things are falling apart, much less write it. My hymn would probably say something like, things are not well, and I'm not going to pretend that they are, but that doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? I chose this hymn because I know that tomorrow might be hard for some of you. Maybe it's always hard. Families can be hard. Maybe this year has a newly empty chair or a newly broken relationship. Maybe there are conversations you are dreading or boundaries you struggle to hold. Maybe the grief you thought was well handled will bubble up again because that is what grief does. No matter why it's hard, I can't help but wonder what it would take to believe it is well when things are not well. I don't know. I wish I had a better answer, but all I know when things are not well is to sing, and to trust, and to hope that it's true. So that is where we begin.
1: When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow control And Lord, haste the day When the faith shall be sight The clouds be rolled back As a scroll The trump shall rise. Shall descend Even so It is well With my soul It is well With my soul It is well
0: Full disclosure, this next hymn is my favorite hymn. I know Alice tries to play it as often as possible because she knows I like it. It's not the biggest or flashiest or even most well-known or most Lutheran song, but I love it. It is honest and beautiful, and of course, I'm not gonna have us sing hymns together and not choose my favorite one, so it is the perk, like I said, of putting a service like this together. Abide With Me was written by the Scottish Anglican cleric, Henry Francis Light. While he was visiting a dying friend, he recalled his friend praying the words, Abide With Me, Abide With Me, Abide With Me, over and over as he was dying. Henry left his friend's bedside, wrote the words to this hymn, and gifted it to the family when his friend died. It may have remained just that, a poem given from one friend to another. But 30 years later, as he neared his own death, these words came back to him. The same prayer whispered under his own breath as he lay dying. Abide with me. Was it his illness that caused the words to ring in his heart once again. The prayer of his friend became his own prayer, and although he was quite ill, he recalled those words he had written 30 years ago and gave them to a member of his family. He died just a few weeks later, and the first time this hymn was ever sung in a congregation was at his funeral. Oof, isn't that so beautiful? Woo! I wrote the word sob in here, but I don't need to. It's, it's happening. Despite this not being a, a Thanksgiving song, a song of gratitude, the lyrics are, I would say, the most honest cry of many of us. A cry for God to stay, stay with me, God, through good and bad. Stay with me, God, be present, help me be moved to trust in every moment. Abide means stay, stick with me, stay by my side, God. And also, the lyrics of this hymn remind us that everything around us changes. It ebbs and flows, but God does not. God stays. God abides. God remains steadfast and present, even when it seems like everything else is changing faster than we can process. When we sing this song, we don't have to be at the end of our lives to appreciate it. We don't have to be processing our impending death like Henry was. But as we sing, we can look around us, especially this time of year, and clearly see the way all things end, all things die, and yet God remains, and yet God abides. And there is gratitude in that simple prayer. So let's sing it together. to point out that God almost didn't make our list of the uh, 10 most thankful things. I just want to point that out and say it's fine and pretty normal. And we don't often take the time to thank God for the things that are going well in our life or the things that are not going well in our life, that we have a God who stays and a God who sticks with us through it. So last but not least, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song that thanks God for what God has given us. This is the tale of maybe one of the most well-known hymns of all time in a biography. Now, I went on deep dives on all of these hymns, so I can give you much more of the story if you want. But in one of the biographies about the author of this hymn, John Newton, it was estimated that Amazing Grace is sung 10 million times a year. That is bonkers to me. That's so many times the song is sung every year. John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. He grew up without any kind of religious upbringing. He was known for being a rabble rouser. That's the nice way of saying it. He began joining his father on his ship at age 11 after being expelled from boarding school. After deserting the Navy for a girl, which is a lovely story, Polly, he was sentenced to forced labor on a ship. That was the punishment for deserting the Royal Navy. And so began his career as a slave trader during the Atlantic slave trade. His reputation on the ship was not a good one. In a culture where sailors were kind of known as the rough-and-tumble people, Uh, Newton was admonished several times for not only using the worst words the captain had ever heard, but, and I quote, creating new ones that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. Isn't that a delight? A real claim to fame, this John Newton. During one voyage across the Atlantic, a storm overtook his ship and he cried out to God for mercy. Now you might think this would be the moment he changed for good, but that was not the case. Uh, It took him a little while longer. He made a bargain with God, he survived, and then he promptly forgot the bargain. How many of you have done that same thing? In one of my favorite stories about this moment, it was said that John had been reading, for fun, The Christian's Pattern, which is a summary of the 15th century Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. A delight that this is basically an 18th century cliff notes of a very complicated reading. I love this for him. Later, as he recovered from his near-death experience, the memory of his own Lord have mercy upon us uttered in a moment of desperation, would not leave him. He, he forgot it and kept doing the work he was doing, but it stayed in the back of his mind that he had made this bargain. But he began to wonder if he was worthy of God's mercy or in any way redeemable. After all, he was the worst foul-mouthed sailor his captain had ever heard. He was directly participating in the Atlantic slave trade. He knew what he was doing. Not only had he neglected his faith, but he directly opposed the faith of others, mocking them for showing their own faith, deriding and denouncing God as myth to other sailors. And it was this guy who wrote the words that saved a wretch like me. Yes, his transformation was slow, and the question of his worthiness stuck with him even as he continued to work on and become a captain of a slave trading ship. It wasn't his conscience that caused conscience that caused him to leave his post, it was an illness. And he became a lowly customs agent in Liverpool. He called himself And while he sat there, he taught himself Latin and Greek, for fun, as one does, and theology in his free time. Through study and telling of his experiences, he slowly became an abolitionist instead of a captain on a slave trading ship. He was eventually, through a series of very funny events, where he had to convince the bishops he was worthy, I have no idea what that's like. He was ordained in the Church of England, serving a parish, and working, writing hymns and poems with fellow poet William Cowper. One of these such poems was Amazing Grace, which was written as a sermon illustration for New Year's Day in 1773. What I love most about the story of John Newton writing this hymn is that he absolutely knew he did not deserve forgiveness. He knew it. He knew he had done some really awful things. He knew he had participated in some really awful systems, passively and actively. He knew, without a doubt, he was not worthy of the mercy of God. And he knew that God's grace and love came to him anyway. I know that most of us, to some degree, have felt this same unworthiness. We have done some awful things. We have treated people unfairly. We have been the worst version of ourselves. We have participated in awful systems, both actively and passively. When you think about it, it can be hard to feel worthy of God's love. This hymn does not have the word thankful or grateful in it anywhere, but the overwhelming feeling of gratitude for the love of God is pouring out of every word. You can feel how John Newton felt as he wrote it. And the enduring power of this hymn reminds us that we all need to be reminded of how great it is that God's love is not reliant on our worthiness. God loves us because that is how God works in the world and in our lives. God is love. And we are loved. That is why we gather on this night, around this table, before we go tomorrow and gather around very different tables in very different places. We gather here first to remind ourselves of the love that changes everything, even a wretch like me. A love that makes us sing, now I see. And for that, we say thanks be to God. And we sing together. And we're going to stand while we sing this one. And I couldn't choose, so we're singing it all. This is a blessing by Jan Richardson called This Day We Say Grateful. It is a strange thing to be so bound and so released all in the same moment, to feel the heart open wide and wider still, even as it turns to take its leave. On this day, let us say this is simply the way love moves, ceaseless spiraling, turning us toward one another. And sending us into what waits for us with arms open wide to us in welcome and in hope. On this day, in this place where you have poured yourself out, where you have been emptied and filled and emptied again, may you be aware more than ever of what your heart has opened to here, what it has tended and welcomed here, where it has broken in love and in grief, where it has given and received blessing in the unfathomable mystery that moves us, undoes us, and remakes us, finally, for joy. This day may you know this joy in full measure. This day may you know this blessing that gathers you in and sends you forth but will not forget you. Oh, hear us as this day we say grace, this day we say grateful, this day we say blessing, This day we release you in God's keeping and hold you in gladness and in love.